Hello and welcome to this very special episode of the Beyond the Buy Button podcast because we've come to the end of the series. I feel like we should have some party poppers or something noisy, but as we don't, we have some lovely little audio clips from the series which neatly sums up what has been previously discussed. We've managed to cover how products become sellable, how they're delivered once sold and what happens after, if they need to be returned, resold or even recycled. In this episode alone, we hear from Pandora, Selfridges, Wolverine Worldwide, which features brands including Merrill and Sweaty Betty, and experts in the field of packaging, supply chain and delivery. So I'm not alone in looking back over our Beyond the Buy Button podcast series. I'm joined by Narvar's David Morin. Hi, David. Hello. Thank you for joining us virtually. Can you remind us a little bit about yourself and Narvar as a company? Sure, yeah. Excited to be here, Katie. Thanks for having me again. My name is David Winning. I am the head of global customer strategy. I've been at the company for a while and worn a lot of different hats, but always with the customer front and center, really thinking about customer experience and the industry. Narvar is a customer experience post-purchase platform that really works to make sure that every touch point uh, at the time of purchase with an e-commerce retailer and beyond is world-class uh, to build customer loyalty. In my role, I work with a number of our largest global uh, strategic retailers to really share more about how we think about the industry, but also hear from our retail partners about what they're seeing and what they're looking to achieve so that we can really build out products, features, and services that up-level the entire industry uh, and continue to keep the customer front and center. Thank you, David. And thanks again so much for joining us. You've given us your insight on a few episodes. So it's it's great to hear, hear you again for the wrap up. To prepare for today's discussion, I went back through the series and um, listeners can do that. There's lots of episodes available on deliveryx.net, on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. But one theme that came up time and time again across all the episodes was sustainability. It's a hot topic for 2022 and it's certainly going to be for 2023. We're going to hear from Steve Irwin from Wolverine Worldwide and he can tell us a bit more. Yeah, I think this is is always an interesting one, right? It was sustainability over the last kind of maybe five years has almost been a buzz room, a buzzword, sorry, around kind of the, the, the boardroom in, in the sense of, oh, we need to have a sustainability story or a sustainability campaign. And for the Wolverine brands, sustainability isn't a buzzword. It isn't a campaign. It's it's, it's basically built into the business structure and, and how they operate. Um you know, I think with with all brands that work in a manufacturing business, there's there's more efficiencies that can always be made across the entire supply chain, and that's that's a continued focus for the business in terms of their sourcing strategies and how they source. They're they're geared towards a, a more sustainable proposition, and equally, when when we're kind of forecasting and looking at our growth aspirations, we're not trying to outperform the market and drive more demand in the market than 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 we see because that's also kind of promoting something that's kind of a, a slightly unsustainable approach to, to, to kind of product usage. The the big part that I think Wolverine does very well, though, is is it kind of focuses on sustainability within the community and 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 how we can kind of help make our consumers be more responsible with, with the products that they that they buy. So kind of taking better care of those products so that they last the, the kind of the, the test of time. 
in particular, you know, with our hiking boots as well, you know, there's, there's, there's care guides and things that help you kind of take better care of that product so that, that something that may only last six months if you left them sitting out in the rain after a, a muddy hike and the leather starts to crack then become 12 months because you have the proper care guides in, in, in terms of how to use that or even longer you know so there's a an approach to sustainability throughout the organization whether it be like i say supply chain product sourcing product usage um, or even how customers look after the goods that they purchase from us it's great that a company that sells walking boots, running shoes, activewear wants their products looked after and therefore lasting a long time. Is this something that all retailers, not just active fashion retailers, should be doing? David, from a sort of post-purchase experience side of things, should, should such care information um, or sustainability information be something that retailers are providing? Yeah, I think yeah, it was super very much agree with Steve. Uh, you know, sustainability has always been a buzzword in the industry. And when I think about the retailers that best achieve sustainability initiatives, it's the ones that do it in an approach that's not just gimmicky, like, hey, we're, we're being sustainable, but it actually delivers customer value uh, and also brand identity. Uh, I think that example of product care is such a great example of ways in which you can have a sustainable mindset But it also really makes you build trust with your consumer because it shows that the brand is actually invested in you having a great long-term experience with the brand. Um, We see that a lot. Uh, I think jewelry is a good category. Furniture is a good category. A lot of categories where there may be high consideration in the buying process, you know, customers then have an even more uh, kind of emotional connection with those brands. We also know that the post-purchase experience, uh, you know, even starting at the time of immediate tracking and shipment is when your customer is most engaged. And if you can start to pulse your customer with information at that moment about uh, care tips, uh, we see a lot today about warranties, how can you really build that level of trust, you can actually um, drive customer satisfaction in the immediate. And then, of course, lots of opportunity to continue to pulse information to your customers through other uh, maybe marketing-based content to really keep them connected in your ecosystem and build out that loyalty. Um, I think the beautiful thing is, you know, you buy one pair of shoes, you know that that brand cares about you, you've gotten good tips. Now in six months, you don't need to replace that one, but maybe you need a a different color or a different size. And so you can really start to build that long-term loyalty with a brand if they invest in that immediate kind of first touch. Excellent. And we know, say you buy that sustainable pair of shoes, they're going to have to come in some packaging of some of some sort. They're going to have to come in a box or a plastic bag to protect them. And that sustainability conversation continues into that element of e-commerce. And we heard from Lumi's Anjo, and he can actually s- explain more. We've seen that. Lumi's been in business since 2015. And Every year, we're seeing more and more demand for sustainable packaging. We're seeing that move up the priority list for businesses, and a lot of it is consumer-driven. Every younger generation is more and more conscious about sustainability. And if you want to continue <laughs> staying in business and having new customers come in, it, it makes sense to think about that. The thing that I think is challenging about the word sustainability. It's not one size fits all. A business who that's in the apparel industry versus cosmetics industry versus food, they're going to need to approach sustainability differently because the types of materials, the types of products that they're selling are different. If you have a product that needs to remain cold in transit, that has different properties that you need to think about. 
Are you making your packaging out of renewable materials like paper or seaweed or other interesting materials that are coming out today? Are you using recycled content? How recyclable or compostable is the material at the end of its life? What are you doing to reduce the amount of packaging that you have? Can you shrink it? Can you ship less air? Can you work with local manufacturers that are in your area to reduce the carbon emissions that happen in transit? So all of those different things, as well as some new business models like reusable, refillable, returnable packaging is all kind of the nuance that's within this word sustainability. And we think it's much more interesting for businesses to pick two or three of those properties and focus in on doing a really great job at those because then they can set their goals in a much more accurate and predictable way that that translate into the business. And like I said, the goals depend on the type of business that you're running. And so some businesses are going to really struggle to switch away from plastic. Plastic is a material that I think from the consumer point of view is something that they want to see go away, especially single-use plastics. And I think everyone is on board with that. But there are some industries where it's going to be really difficult to make that switch for practical reasons. And I guess Stefan's hit on a really interesting point there. Businesses still have to protect their product. If you're dealing with something that needs to be returned, for example, it needs to come in a box that you could send it send it back in. Do you think that's something that's achievable for, for retailers, David? Yeah, I think a couple points there. Um, one, I totally agree is what what are your goals, right? And then how do you achieve them? I think as consumers, we've all received a box from a retailer that is four sizes too big for that small thing. And, and we all think like, wow, is this the best that we could do? But at the same time, we know that a retailer also has to balance their operations and and figure out what's for them. And, and you know, sometimes having standardized packaging across a really broad product set means that you are going to sometimes have to sacrifice space or, or things on that. And so uh, I agree, it's always about the balance, you know, what is your top layer goals, and then picking one or two that really either drive your P&L or customer experience, or I think the best ones drive both. <laughs> um, but always having that the mindset. I think as we'll talk about in the coming uh, discussions, Returns is interesting because I think there is actually a lot of opportunity to achieve sustainability in returns as well. We're seeing a lot of shift towards package lists or box lists or plastic list experiences. Uh, and so, again, thinking about how do you connect that ecosystem, maybe you, you sacrifice a little bit of sustainability for your own operations on the outbound, but then you balance it out on the, what you offer on the returns um, to be you know, either carbon neutral or carbon positive. It's a really good word, that ecosystem, um, because everything in retail, it's not done in a silo. You're dealing with so many working cogs, so many working partners. And partnerships are are really key, especially when retailers looking at sustainability are having to look at their whole supply chain. And we can hear again from um, Jessie Baker, who's the founder of Provenance, and she can tell us a bit more. It's definitely a journey. Sustainability is so complex. I mean, it really is like our entire ecosystems and it's so networked and connected. And yeah, I think it's it is very difficult to distill to something simple. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like the, the complexity means we are embracing all of the issues. You know, it isn't just about carbon, it's biodiversity, it's labour rights, it's the impact on communities. And so at Providence, what we've tried to do with the framework is essentially distill down the the key claims that brands are making, both at a brand level and at a product level, 
And essentially what we're trying to do is to, is to help brands make claims that are consistent. So wherever you see net zero, it means the same thing. But there's so many different ways that people are communicating on carbon. And net zero can mean many things. It could just mean the HQ of the company is net zero. And when 90% of the impact lies in the supply chain, that's actually very misleading. Mm. But you don't want to, to, to just look at the HQ of the company. We need to have a net zero supply chain that's end to end. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely, a, particularly the, the carbon area is a, a topic that's, that's complex. And there's a lot of kind of greenwashing and misleading information going on. You were nodding along so passionately there, David, with Jesse. Uh, she's mentioned eco-commerce uh, or the whole ecosystem, which you obviously said. There's that misleading information comment that she made. Greenwashing is, is a discussion that we could have all day, but it's something that when you're communicating to your customers and building that customer experience, to give them misleading information is something that will will sort of be detrimental in the end. Yeah, uh, you know, I think as consumers, uh, at least in my mind, um, you know, the, the maybe base is when we think sustainability, we think reduction in carbon footprint. And, you know, the, the quick ones are like, are we using too many trees? Are um, are we shipping via air versus ground? But you know, I think to to Jesse's point, it's it's really much bigger than that. It, it's about the inputs and your entire supply chain. And I also think that's why it's. Be- that's why in the ecosystem or in the industry, it's been such a buzzword for so long. And so many companies have been doing so many things behind the scenes to actually achieve sustainability initiatives. Maybe it is, you know, working in a fully uh, lead certified office that is fully efficient. It could mean, you know, only sourcing from certain manufacturers. But how do you communicate that to your customer base in a way that they attribute those brand identity to you on those objectives that maybe aren't always front and center? Um, so I, I think that's the complexity when it comes to saying sustainability is is what is the connotation or colloquial <laughs> use of the word, but then what is actually a sustainability initiative at a large global company, and, and what are they doing day to day that is actually driving a big sustainable impact? So we know sustainability was one of the buzzwords for 2022. It's not going to go anywhere. It's something that we'll be talking about for years to come. Another theme that hit the headlines time and time again, you've touched on it already, um, returns, the likes of Zara, Next, ASOS, all beginning to charge. But for Wolverine, they're taking a slightly different approach. They want to use data to understand why people are really sending things back. And Stephen can explain. Obviously, as we start to kind of bring back data from the consumer to understand what the return reason was or if there was a faulty product or if it was a sizing issue or if it was... Um, just that they bought two and they wanted to return one back. You know, all of those things are more telling and, and allow us to kind of get better as as a, a product-led business. We historically haven't been great at kind of aggregating that data and getting it to a point where we, we, where we can really use it to kind of take learnings into the business. We've recently started up a partnership with Narvar, um, which I've used in, in, in prior organizations, and, and that's been a really useful tool for us to get real-time data on return reasons and also offer digital returns to make it easier for the consumer uh, as well you know so from my perspective I see that one kind of rolling out later this year and becoming a big help for us to kind of get a better understanding there. Got to love a name drop. (laughs) Love love the shout out. (laughs) But obviously you're probably going to agree with him then is a better understanding of consumer returns habits a way to to limit the number of returns to to handle this returns crisis that we've got in e-commerce yeah i think so many touch points there you know one 
while I think the media word is returns are a problem, what we view at Narvar is that returns are really an opportunity. Returns are an opportunity to build trust with your consumers. Returns are an opportunity to build loyalty with your consumers. But collecting returns data is also an opportunity to improve all aspects of your commerce and merchandising work streams. Uh, you know, in the U.S. at least, uh, though I think globally as well, one of the more common ways that retailers were facilitating digital returns in the last five to 10 years was what we call label in the box, where a retailer places a prepaid shipping label in the outbound shipment, consumer slaps it on and sends it back. And while in many ways that might be consumer friendly, one, it is not sustainable to tie that together. You're printing out, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of papers a day that you don't use. But two, it also leaves the retailer completely blind about who's returning, what they're returning, why they're returning, when they're returning. And what we've seen is that retailers who use a digital platform like Narvar to facilitate returns actually have a robust set of data that they can use to mine more voice to the customer feedback, to collect product data, to collect um, you know, other sites of feedback. We've seen so many stories of retailers doing really simple things like um, seeing a particular item is being returned overwhelmingly because of the reason code not as pictured. And the retailer can simply go to their website, swap out the picture to make sure that the picture and the description match. They see a reduction in returns uh, immediately of an item like that. We've had examples where retailers have actually been able to trace sizing problems back to their manufacturer and actually alter the manufacturing of a good. So I, I love the mindset that Steve shared. That is where I think all retailers are heading is how do you provide a best-in-class returns experience, but how do you also use that experience to collect information, take that information upstream to better improve the purchasing experience, but also reduce return rate, uh, which again ties back to sustainability. The less we're shipping things back and forth, you know, the, the more sustainable we all become. That understanding that information, it's it comes up time and time again. And having an understanding of what is happening across your business is something that we've discussed in the this both the staffing and the episode of this season and Ricky Wilson from Pandora can tell us more. I think one of the things that we had historical challenges around was having any visibility of the data in terms of what position we were in, in terms of fulfillment and customer service centre because they're operated by third parties. And even after the event, I don't think that we had very clean data. And so in order to support each of the individual teams, we developed out an operational control tower that took all of our live inventory, order, contact, carrier data together and brought it all together in order that we could get some clarity about what's going on. And our teams 24-7 around the globe were able to therefore see what position their part of the operation was. Around that, we put a control tower team to act as the eyes and ears for each of our you know, component parts of our, our tower who obsess about the order pipeline from order generation through to payment, pick, pack, dispatch, delivery, collection, returns if necessary. And that's both our DCs and our stores through which we do our kill and collect operation. And so if there's a metric that looks odd at any one point in time or some orders that haven't quite made it through the sausage machine, they then find out, is that because we've got a problem, diagnose it a bit and get hold of the right team so that we don't have it hanging around for too long. And that's really important to try and find a way of making that 
sustainable in such a global business is something I found very different from M&S, which was typically a domestic business when I was there at the time. So I think that's probably our biggest challenge still at the moment is how when you have some specialized localized teams in one time zones is helping you take that that knowledge and make it available all the time at every time in order that we can be on it as we need to to ensure that we don't impact any of our our customer promise and it's certainly something which um you know we we are still working on i have some i have some people over in uh, the us some just uh, i'm just opening up some people in uh, in sydney in terms of at least trying to get some sort of location strategy for some of these support backbone it definitely seems like a balancing act for um, Pandora and I imagine retailers across the board looking at inventory, carrier management, demand their their own staffing across a, a global operation. He, he discussed technology there, data, information. Is that something that can help retailers? Is deploying technology platforms the, sort of the future of how they get that visibility? Yeah, first, I uh, would love to learn more from from Ricky about what they're building there in that dashboard. I think that's where every retailer is going to strive to be. I think the unfortunate reality for, for most of us today in the industry is we're all trying to do more with less. Certainly, when we think about ways to do more with less, having more technology and innovation and data is a really, really great way to try to harness you know all the information you have and make it intelligible. I would also say from my perspective, we've seen this become more of a front and center topic uh, coming out of COVID in e-commerce specifically, as there's been a huge acceleration of e-commerce, there has been such more of a conversation and a demand and focus on the operations and supply chain side of the business. So whereas maybe five years ago, uh, you know, everyone believed in e-commerce, but we saw most companies, I think, be more product led. I think where we're seeing a shift is is more of a balance between you know, product and operations because of the reach and impact and you know kind of just broad stroke that that now we of the industry we're in. Um, absolutely, I think when we think about data and and how it can be used, uh, I think it's really powerful. How do we help retailers have access to their order level data, their shipment level data, their carrier data, so they can have that broad visibility of at any given time about what's happening, where are the problems, is there congestion in, in a certain region or a certain location, um, is one carrier underperforming versus another carrier. The other thing that we look at at, at Narvar as well is how do you compare against your peers? So is one is your carrier uh, under-indexing against how they service your peers in the industry? Um, not just from a service level, but also so you understand what that customer experience is. And if you're delivering two days slower than, than your competitor, you maybe want to look at how do you optimize your delivery process or your order process to really meet your customers' expectations when you know what experience you're having elsewhere. Yeah, so I think, again, that real-time visibility across all aspects of a retailer's inventory and supply chain really gives operators the ability to make those real-time decisions. And then also having the ability to look back and analyze and look at what went right and what went wrong over historical periods are really powerful ways to start making business decisions as you plan for the future.
just to pick back up on that carrier point of view, the Beyond the Buying Button podcast does sit on our Delivery X platform, which focuses on that operations side you talked about, that sort of logistics side of e-commerce, which has grown because of this e-commerce boom. To wrap up this wrap up, um, <laughs> it makes sense to conclude with a carrier and just we spoke we sat down with yodel's chief executive mike hancock and he sort of gave us a hint of of what's coming next the really good retailers now absolutely understand their customer and what their customers want i think the industry has gone through a a series of changes where you know next day delivery became king two-hour deliveries in certain areas became the the thing that people were aspiring to but you know, through it all, for me, the most important thing is certainty of delivery in the time frame of the service that you've bought. There are more recently trends towards pick-up and drop-off locations rather than final mile. That is something that's important for lots of reasons. It gives the end customer convenience. It gives them another option. It potentially is helpful for the the green agenda in that it reduces the number of diesel chugging vans going down a cul-de-sac on any given day. The most important thing is the customer choice. And, you know, for customers that are already out and about and potentially passing a pickup location, they, they do enjoy that experience. Some very interesting points from Mike about delivery times, about collection sort of kicking off. Is 2023 going to be the year that collection really goes goes mad? Is it something that you're witnessing? You know, kind of to wrap up from where we were, uh, <laughs> when when I think about the best initiatives, um, they are the ones that deliver on consumer experience, but also retailer benefit. And I think this evolving world of carrier delivery options and, and, and experiences is a great blend of that. Pickup points are great for many reasons. I live in a very congested city. My front door is a busy street. I do not like packages to be delivered at my door. So for me, Pickup points are an excellent way for me to ensure safety, especially if it's a high price point item or if I'm going to be on vacation or if I'm going to work for that day. From the retailer side, it's a cost savings maneuver for many reasons, um, from a freight cost side, from a experience side, but it also gives them more risk protection of people having to file lost claims and things. So what I believe in is consumer choice, and I think having a robust set of choices is really how everyone wins. But what we're definitely seeing is exactly that, more retailers opening up what that choice looks like, allowing them to ship directly to a pickup point location in a convenient area, more carriers allowing consumers to redirect shipments that are in flight to secure locations like a locker or a drop off that are not going to be home, um, to really give them more control over that experience. Uh, to ensure success. Uh, And then we see the same thing on returns as well, you know, taking returns to a drop-off location. Maybe it's box list or package list that helps reduce that first mile cost, better for the consumer, better for the environment, better for the retailer, uh, and, and definitely starting to see more and more focus on building out that wider experiential ecosystem that has the the consumer benefit, the retailer benefit, the carrier benefit, and then also the global sustainability benefit as well. (laughs) So we need a solution that benefits everybody. 
No easy task. Those, those are the ones that last for sure. <laughs> so talking about ones that last, to, to sort of wrap up, what are the businesses that last going to be doing right in 2023 in this e-commerce space? What's going to be the topics that they have to be getting right? One I would say is how do you shift your focus from just acquisition of your customer base to actually retention? Uh, you know, I talked about doing more with less. We know that uh, in many industries and categories, purse strings might be tight. So how do you really invest in, in building that experience with your customer end to end? How do you deliver those brand identity um, values that can really resonate with a consumer? Sustainability is a great one. How do you deliver best in class experiences um, so that consumers want to return to you? Um, but then also thinking about, you know, should things go wrong or, or what, how do you retain more of your revenue immediately in your ecosystem through reducing returns, through um, exchanges, through other consumer-minded experiences? Um, so I think those two imbalance. Uh, I would say one adjacent topic, which I don't think we've touched on this podcast, uh, but I think is becoming more front and center, is the concept of loyalty. Um, more and more retailers are launching loyalty programs and then using those programs throughout every touch point in e-commerce. Maybe you get faster delivery or cheaper delivery or more return options or cheaper return options or advanced refunds. And so thinking about how do you use loyalty as a lever to retain and, and also surprise and delight. We'll be hoping that more retailers are offering loyalty programs in 2023. So thank you so much to David for joining me for this wrap up of the Beyond the Buy Button podcast. All of the episodes, which include a discussion about packaging, there's one on circular economy, there's some conversations about flexibility and agility, there's one on staffing and the frustrations of returns, are all now available on deliveryx.net. You can also find them on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening across the series. I'm Katie Searles. 